One thing to consider is, is it possible to tell this story any quicker? That's one thing. Because typically we start off with way more than we really need. Okay. And to be concise and to the point is ideal for an individual, particularly a, a tiny human, whose attention span is still building. If it doesn't seem like the story can be told with any less detail, another factor, which really isn't about the reader perspective, it's about the cost. How much more will it cost to illustrate these additional 10 pages that you may or may not need? Yeah. You are listening to Unapologetically Mommyhood, where we talk the real behind the scenes of mommyhood and business through the eyes and experiences of other moms in business. First, we are moms, yes, but we are also women, bosses, and humans. Here we support moms on being confident, authentic, and most of all, unapologetic to who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our identity isn't tied to just being a mom because we are so much more. Welcome to the mommyhood. This episode is brought to you by Melanated Summits and the Melanated Self-Love Series. Providing a safe, judgment-free zone for women of color to gather with like-minded women to provide and support each other in increasing our self-love. We all may love ourselves, but we can always love ourselves more. Take some time and embrace you. Check in for self-care by going to www.melanatedloveseries.com. Check out the series and the amazing facilitators who are bringing some phenomenal sessions. Go to www.melanatedloveseries.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to Unapologetically Mommyhood, where we talk mommyhood and business, unapologetically embracing who you are as not just a mom, but as a human, because mommyhood is real, man. It's not all the giggles and cuddles that you see all over the internet. Sometimes that ish hits the fan, and sometimes we mean literally, and we have our breakdown ugly cries too. So again, welcome to the mommyhood. Okay, so today... We're going to be talking about your book, right? And more specifically, your children's book. So if you're a mompreneur out there who has been thinking about writing a children's book or who has a children's book ready and you're just like, oh, what do I do? This episode is definitely for you. Today's guest wrote a series of children's books called Little Mr. Fix It that focuses on the importance of being inclusive in household, the relationship dynamics in the household, and then building confidence and positive self-esteem in your children. She also founded a consulting agency where she does branding and content marketing strategies for independent children's books authors, helping them to make meaningful difference through marketing, production, and distribution of their books. So let's welcome author and marketing strategist, Michaela S. Bid. Hello, you got and it, welcome. sister. Yeah, Hi, so, how are you today? You said, it, you said it to me, and it made me almost say the wrong one because I heard you say it. I was like, let me make it right. <laughs> you nailed it. Thank you. Thanks for that beautiful introduction. Thank you also for having me on your podcast. Thank you for coming on because this is going to be a great topic for our moms because I know I have some mom entrepreneurs out there who have a children's book 
or thinking about a children's book, I have one that I started writing and I was like, okay, what do I do with a children's book? You know what I mean? (laughs) Because, you know, like I was like, I have small children. I want them to have something reflective of them. And I just had a book and I was like, I started writing things that I would say to them. And then I started thinking about illustrators. Then I started thinking about all the stuff you had to do. And I was like, huh. I mean, gonna put that aside <laughs> a little bit and <laughs> come back to it, you know, so it's great that you're here today. So, but before we get into all of that, I always have to start with you, your journey and how you got to this point. So you said back in 2020, you started a journey of your series. So tell me how and why. So the, the how... The how is actually a lot simpler than most people's experience with writing. What led up to me writing the story is the complicated part. Okay. At the time of everything that we were facing with the riots, all of the political and social unrest in 2020, just learning about what we ultimately have been living in for the last two years, a pandemic, everything was pointing toward the need for change. And one of the things that I did not see was addressing parents and children Mm -hmm. in a way that promoted what children really need to understand about accepting our differences. And because I didn't feel like I could sit quietly by the sidelines while all of these things were happening, I started assembling conversations between people that I went to school with and we met a few times talking about initially just adult stuff, a book that had been published and that did really, really well by one of our classmates was our initial starting point. We were talking through the dialogue of the Hulu series that was adapted from the book. But then we started talking about what was happening in the world as the progression of everything hit the fan in spring of 2020. Mm. And suddenly the conversations weren't just about how we grew up and what life was like and how our journeys and our respective lives today had been shaped by where we come from. It started to get real. Mm. And in finding out how all of us wanted to do something but really weren't sure what, we put our heads together And we gave ourselves some deliverables, like each individual, like what can you do where you are now with what we grew up understanding, the dialogues that we have had among mixed ethnic, mixed culture groups, and how can we institute and implement what we are already practicing and have been for the majority of our lives in the communities where we live today. Mm. And so it was like a call to action for me to figure out what to do, what more could I do? And uh, (laughs) I got out of the shower one day, Kamisha, and I sat down in front of my bed with the idea that came to me in the shower for the book. And the book was entirely to give kids a way to see themselves and to make sure that it wasn't like a trauma it wasn't uh, an emotional come to understanding type of book. It was a book about a family that all families should be able to relate to on some level or another. 
And it was entirely to be for us to experience that day to day. We are like everybody else in some ways. And in some ways we are uniquely different. Mm -hmm. And to put that into a children's book seemed like the best place because that's the group of people who are most impressionable and their minds, children between the ages of three and eight are so pliable that they're open and they're accepting and they're not ridden with history and bias and stereotypes and prejudice. Mm -hmm. And even if the parents might bring some of those things into the element, being able to see that it's not necessary to pass those things along to their children was the intention with the book. What well, was part of the intention? So I wrote it. I, I literally, I got out of the shower one day and I wrote the book, the series, the manuscript for <laughs> three books in the series, the marketing plans. And 45 minutes later, I was like, what do I do next? <laughs> okay. So now as you come out of the shower and <laughs> you write your books, right? And you start your series and you decide, okay, now how do I get this message out? Uh, what was what was the process like? No, because you said you knew you had to do it. You needed to do something and have something tangible. What was that process? That process was actually pretty straightforward because I had never published a book. I had lots of questions. Uh-huh. I have published other material, however, other content because I'm a content creator, because I'm a marketer and because I've published PR pieces in different journals and different walks of my marketing journey corporately, there was publishing that existed, but it wasn't to the extent of a children's book. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop and do some research. And the research that I did led me to a friend who had already published a children's book independently. And if I sat down and wrote this book on Thursday, I'm certain I called her the next day so that I could figure out when we could meet so I could find more insight. We talked on Sunday and she basically laid out the process at a high level for me. Now, what she shared with me was very similar to what I experienced in my background as a product manager. And in product management, when you're in the marketing aspects of product management, there's a ton of project management Mm -hmm. and all of the steps and all of the stages that exist in the self-publishing process have some equivalent to what exists when you're in the process of bringing alive a new product. So to me, it was a direct correlation with something I was already familiar with. And with her explaining that process to me, that filled a gap, but continuing to do more research to refine the way of going about getting this done was what I had to do. Now, I found my illustrator relatively soon after that. Okay. That was one of the biggest pieces because a picture book to the extent where you're explaining words. You see a cover, you see every page that in some way brings alive your vision. Mm -hmm. And you have to have someone who's skilled and talented, of course, on the artistic side, but also able to 
work well with someone about taking a concept from simply words that should be understood and making it something that connotes the visual emotion invoking. So finding my illustrator was not what it is with most authors. I didn't go searching far and wide. The first person who I connected with, thanks to a friend on Facebook, making the introduction is the person that I chose because we immediately vibed. And that's a huge part of what I respond to, whether or not that that feeling of being able to be open and transparent is there. And when you have someone who is taking a part of your heart and soul and your creativity, you want to understand how they're going to use their genius, their creativity to align with what you envision. But you also want to be able to pull out what their unique abilities in and of themselves can do that you as the author can't do. So you have to be willing to give somebody that flexibility to be who they are. And she was somebody that I felt I could do that with. Coincidentally, she's here locally in the Atlanta area as well. So that made it a little bit more uh, of a slam dunk going through the process of self-publishing. And that, that's kind of cool too. And I like what you said about the visuals, right? Making sure the visuals are the, uh, enhance the words, right? Because I noticed that even with my four-year-old, right? Like before she reads the words, she'll look at the pictures because mm -hmm. she wants to see what's happening and it helps her read the sentence because she can make out some of the words better by being able to determine what's happening in the picture. So yeah. it's a little cheat for her, but <laughs> I get what you mean when you say that because I watch her do it daily where she's looking at the pictures to try to figure out the story before she yeah. even tries to read the sentence. So that's really cool. And it's good too that you all vibe because that was going to be one of my questions that I would talk about was with the illustrator, you know, because most children books have pictures. And when you're working with someone else on, you know, something you've created that's on your, your spirit, your heart, your mind, and you want, they have to contribute to it, right? They have mm -hmm. to come and bring it together and make it whole. That's yes. important. <laughs> oh, it's so, so the, important. So the illustrations are important. So the question that I was definitely going to ask about that is how do you pick your illustrator and make sure that you are vibing, that you guys mesh well, and how important is that? So, yeah. So I'm so glad that you explained it right in what you said. <laughs> what you yes. Said. Explained yes. it very well about, you know, I think vibe is important. That should be important for anybody when it comes yeah. to um, illustrating a children's book. Because yeah. if you guys don't vibe, how are you going to get, you know, the real feeling out of the pictures that you want to get? Absolutely. You know, vibe is one thing and it's, huge for me, but it's also in being able to trust the process too, mm -hmm. because there are a certain set of parameters that you can assess when you find several illustrators and want to compare all of them. The style that they work in is one thing that an author should look for. The timeliness 
that they can commit to this project is another thing. When authors look for illustrators who say they're open to commissions, that means I have time, I'm available. Mm -hmm. But when an author finds somebody whose work is already spoken for and their time isn't available because they have enough people on their schedule and building out their calendar, then that means you might have to wait mm -hmm. if that is in fact the illustrator that you want. And I think it goes also to say, being able to relate to an illustrator who is new in this, maybe something that a children's book author who's new has to do. And so a series of processes has to exist to make sure that the project that you have in mind to bring alive is actually going to follow something like a timeline that makes sense. And I say something like a timeline because that strict limitation on putting creativity into motion isn't entirely realistic here. For instance, my illustrator gave me a copy of what she thought the cover should look like initially. And we talked and the feedback that I provided to her gave her some insight into taking another direction. Took her a while to get that the way we both now understood it should be. But if we had rushed through that, mm. we may not have the same quality of what the cover looks like. And to your point about your, your daughter being able to look at the pictures and almost be able to take away the words, we really do, with a good illustrator, aim to make it so that the words and the images supplement or complement one another. Mm -hmm. But if the words aren't there, a child having that developmental stage where they are learning to piece together sequences and cause and effect. Mm -hmm. A child should be able to still enjoy a children's book, I feel, even if it doesn't have words, because yeah. it has pictures that tell the story. Because what did we have once upon a time, long, long ago, before written word was the thing, we communicated stories in pictures. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And with kids, I feel like when there, if there were just words and no pictures, they'd be like, what is this? And why am I doing this? You know what I mean? So I feel like with yeah. them, it's very important to have pictures anyway, because yeah. they're looking for the entertainment in the photo, like the picture, mm -hmm. the illustration. They are. Yeah. And as we're, we're talking about, you know, the children's book and getting into it, um, I want to get some distinctions going. Um, to distinguish from a children's book versus a, um, an, a, an adult's book, right? Um, so when we're talking about children's um, books, and especially because we have a wide span of children's ages, right? What is more considered um, the age of children's book versus young adults? When does it start to switch over? Good question. Kamisha, it changes over right around the age of... 12, 13. Okay. And it depends on the 
advancement level of the reader, whether or not they're ready to go from children's books to young adult books. So let's start at the beginning. You've got newborn to two or three years old. That's a board book, which is a harder material that makes it possible for kids to be able to turn the pages easily. They might feel like cardboard. And because it's thick enough for them to establish the dexterity in their fingertips, they become accustomed to what that motion is like, turning pages. Then you graduate them into picture books. Picture books go from around age three, two to three, to about eight or nine, nine or 10, depending on the level of the reader. Those would be like my book, Little Mr. Fix-It Assists with the to-do list, where every page has an illustration and the illustrations are vivid and there are words enough to make it so that as children are learning how to read, they have the understanding of forming language with letters. Mm. Next up is early readers, like early chapter books. Those would be books that have maybe six or seven pages and that's a chapter. And then the next chapter is another five to 10 pages. Maybe that chapter format is what helps them prepare to read more of what are the young adult books, Mm -hmm. which is what you'll get into when you're mm, 10, 11, 12. And it depends on how advanced you are as a reader as to whether or not you get into young adult books earlier. There are some that are more advanced And there are some that have a more simple approach because the explanation behind that is all kids aren't yet able to handle a book that doesn't have the imagery. So there's still a little bit of images in there, but it may be just the first page on the chapter that you're starting has a small image, maybe a quarter size of the page, if that. Young adult books are the ones that you carry throughout teenage years. And then 18 and up, that's where the novels come in. Yeah, I I like that. And I like that explanation. I feel like that was like a very thorough explanation too. And I feel like um, I'm, you know, the my oldest is four now. So when I'm looking at the books, I'm looking at the books that I used to get the um, these boxes that came while I was pregnant. And then after... Um, they continue them on based on the child's age. And so the books would come in those packages and as they come, they like change, you know? So Mm -hmm. they did have like those harder board books to begin with. And um, now she has some that are, you know, the picture books, like you said, and, but he still has um, board books that come. He's about to be two. He still has some board books that come. So I, I love that you, as you were explaining, I was like, Oh, I have those type of books. Yeah. There's something that I don't think a lot of people realize and it's that kids going through different stages, they can still keep their board books when they're still Mm. in the ages of like three to five, but they're looking at it differently than they had previously. Mm. So there's pictures in a board book and there's words in board books as Mm. well. But when you first get those books, they may just be familiarizing themselves with what the images look like. They may just be learning what the alphabet letters are like. So as they grow with 
that board book, they become comfortable having seen it enough times, they've heard it enough times. You've got that level of confidence that they can associate words Mm -hmm. by sight now. Mm -hmm. And so it might seem like, oh, this is a board book, it's too easy for my child, but really carrying them through from that stage where they've initially been introduced to board books and keeping them with board books when they're ready to start reading and they can read a book that they've seen for a long time, that familiarity helps build their confidence. Yeah, I like that. Um, because she definitely looks at all the books. She doesn't care if it's his book, it's her book too in her mind. So she definitely <laughs> she definitely looks at all the books. Um I I do notice with the board books what you're saying, like some of the first board books, they were just a picture and the word of the picture, right? And then they mm-hmm. started being like uh two words, you know, telling a, a story on I mean, having the words on one page and then the rest of the book it the rest of the page from this left to right is like a story through the picture so yeah I I just was able to visualize what you were saying as um I thought about the books that they have <laughs> I'm like yeah this yeah is what's going on yeah um, yeah there's something else about children's books that's a little interesting and it, it happens in adult books as well but it's harder to discern that this is what's happening with children's books. So when you're an adult and you've got novels, you've got the category of novels breaks down into so many different types of, you've got romance, you've got historic non, you've got historic fiction where somebody might write a book about things that happened years and years ago. And they're, they're telling a story that they're made up, but it could actually have happened. Well, You've got biographies for kids that are also picture mm-hmm. books. You have a really popular series right now is Little Leaders. And it's a book that's been illustrated to show people who are members of what we would consider the legacy of Black history and civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Their stories are being told. Well, it's not a full length biography, but it does introduce children to someone that's a figure of history and it tells a little bit of their story. And then you've got nonfiction books for kids as well. You might find a child who takes an interest in airplanes and maybe fire trucks. There's a series of books that have been published that help kids understand more about what these vehicles do. Mm. And it's not telling a story per se. So when you take picture books, you can break it down into so many different elements that it's important to always know if you're a parent and you have a book in your heart that you want to release it could be something that is a story that you create or it can simply be something that you have a strong affinity for you have a passion to be able to explain to a child for instance i have a client who has parents who are struggling with alzheimer's and one of her ways of being able to explain this to children is through a book Mm. tells a story, but there's an element of this that goes into the brain science and the neurology about how Alzheimer's is affecting older people so that kids can be able to relate to their grandparents. So there's a sneaky way that you can te- sneak in stories <laughs> and real life happening at the same time, even if you're not in the space of imagination where you just really want to you know, pull out the, the unicorns and animals and all of that kind of fun stuff that gives kids a way to think differently about creative 
life. Yeah, I like that. It's, I mean, now you just said it, you can teach them anything in a book. So um, I like that you pointed that out, that it doesn't always have to be a story, that it can be a teaching moment and you could teach them whatever. And it's just at their level. I love that. And, and as we're talking about, you know, the age group, right? And the uh, type of book, what is a good length for a children's book? Like the length. <laughs> oh, that, you know what? That is a really good question. The answer is it depends. Okay. One of those books, let's take a board book, for example. A board book that has a hundred different items in it. And you're a mom, so you know the books that say your first 100 Words. items, whatever the book yeah. is. Should that be 100 pages? Absolutely not. <laughs> the way they break it down by putting multiple items on a page helps to shorten it because they understand that a child's attention span is not that that long. But also when you get into a book that's a book that tells a story, it's important to follow a format to that story because these little humans will lose interest if it's not going in a direction that seems like it has a beginning a middle and an end so a picture book could be anywhere between 15 and 45 pages maybe mm -hmm. okay now in the space of picture books there's a couple things to understand they may not be all dedicated to words. Mm -hmm. Some picture books are illustrations only. Like I can think of one two page spread in my children's book where there really is just words in a small part of the book. So as long as it's progressing to tell the story, it works. Okay. But if it's not, a kid will get bored and they will tell you. And a child will also tell you what their tolerance is for how long they can sit still. Mm -hmm. And when you get to a book that's 20 pages, if you know that your child is getting antsy to help put them more in the frame of being more attentive, they might have to cross the threshold to see what's coming next. If they're interested enough in it, they'll sit still. But if they're not, it may be that that's not the right time for that book for them. Just hold on to it and introduce it when they are more ready to sit still through 20 pages and kind of add gradually because a children's, like I, Kamisha, there's a book that I have by an author that I'm acquainted with and I love the book, but it is not a nighttime book. Okay. How do I know this? Not, this book is like 60 pages. Oh. So when you as a parent don't want to read something that's too long, you have to classify when the books are appropriate sometimes. Okay. <laughs> you've got some books that are, let's read this before nap time. And then you've got some books that are like, mm -mm, we are not doing that before, before bed. We're not going to finish it. So we can just put a bookmark in it which isn't actually something that happens a lot. You put a bookmark in a book, but a, a child is usually going to, at least in my experience, say, let's start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. You got to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that means you will never make it through the book, right? And so what's a what's a good length for a nighttime book? Let's talk about that a little bit cuz I um when you were just talking about the the lengths, right? I always think about my favorite books and all of my favorite books for the kids are short. I can tell you all five of them because <laughs> I've read all five of them a lot of times because they're short and not only are they short, they keep their attention and it's crazy to me that these short books not a whole lot of words, but the story, they, they enjoy those stories. And so the, this was the progression of books that I started with. So the first one was the night you were born, then good night moon. Um, I don't know why I like that book, but I like it. These are books I like, and I was reading. <laughs> so and these are all like the smaller books, good night moon. Um, hi, I believe it's in five languages. I think it's in five languages is the name of it. High in Five Languages, Panda Love, and one other one. I can't even think of it now. I had it in my head, but I, it was one other one. And all of those are short stories that they def, they don't tune, tune out. They just listen to. And they're also like really cute stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're really cute yeah. stories. You know what I mean? And so when we're talking about a nighttime book, because I don't do bedtime books, I do... I, the night you were born and the um, the good night moon, um, mm-hmm. I lost them for a while, um, and then I found them. So then I was like, I'm gonna start reading these again because those were two that were short. Um, it was like, hey, I'm reading you a story, and it's not like 20, 30, 40 minutes long. You know what I mean? So what's a good what's a good length? Hey, so I'm interrupting this video to tell you about this really amazing community where moms are supporting moms in a really genuine way to be a support system in not only your your life, but in both your home and in your business. What's better than being with a group of like-minded women who really care about you and your success? We're talking personal development, business development, co-working, networking, and just support where we meet you where you are. We get and we got you. Check out the Thrive After Nine tribe at www.thriveafternine.com. Now, back to the episode. Really, it depends on how tired they are. Okay. (laughs) If you need, I wish I could give you a standard answer on this, but if you know your child is not going to make it through a 30-page book, Mm-hmm. without falling asleep and you know that they have had a long trying day that might be the perfect length because that's one that they're not going to ask you to read a second book <laughs> they are going to look forward to when you finish reading the book so they can drift off because they might fight to stay up to get to the end of the book <laughs> Just because they think they're doing you a favor. (laughs) But then another thing, it depends on, like you mentioned, you read shorter books. If there's a standard number of books that your child might expect to read every night, then that also determines the length as well. So for instance, my son is four years old as well. And he expects to read two or three books at night before he goes to bed. Because he's stalling, but secretly... I'm happy he wants to have another book because I love to read and I pass along that love for reading to him. And so does his father. So 
we'll read two books knowing that this one has to be a moderately length book and the other one has to be short because we're not going to be doing this all night. <laughs> okay. That's cool. And for some, for an author who um, is starting and mm -hmm. they, um, they want to write children's books and they're at the beginning um, and we'll get into that in a couple of seconds, but I just want to, when they're thinking about the length of the book, because we're, we're start, we're talking about that right now, the mm -hmm. length of the book, what should they consider when they're deciding how long should my book be? One thing to consider is, is it possible to tell this story any quicker? That's one thing, because typically okay. we start off with way more than we really need. Okay. And to be concise and to the point is ideal for an individual, particularly a, a tiny human whose attention span is still building. If it doesn't seem like the story can be told with any less detail, another factor, which it really isn't about the reader perspective, it's about the cost. How much more will it cost to illustrate these additional 10 pages that you may or may not need? Yeah, cool. That makes that sense. That has to be taken <laughs> into account. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because I definitely yeah. wouldn't have thought about that. Oh. Because, and especially, I think, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that because they're like, oh, I have this on my heart and I need to get it all out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So price, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So uh, ladies, if you're listening, as you're doing <laughs> your book, you need to be thinking about the cost of those extra pages that might help you be able to shorten that length down. <laughs> yeah. And, and if it's not possible to shorten it, and it's not a factor on the cost side, mm. there's a strong chance that the story in all of its richness can exist, but not in that book. Mm -hmm. So whether it could be a series of books, one that tells a certain set of themes that may have a certain set of lessons in it or certain parts of the story could go there it may be possible to extend the energy and put that into a separate book, a second book, or in, instead of creating a series, find additional ways to bring to light those messages that you don't have the ability to fit into the pages of the book mm. by adding something complementary to the book, whether that's an experience for readers, or merchandise, or something that makes it possible to take readers beyond the book in a meaningful way. For instance, as much as I love to talk about writing, because I'm a writer, I'm naturally a writer, and in the story, Little Mr. Fix-It assists with the to-do list, there is writing taking place between the two main characters. See, the main characters are the father and the son. So the son carries around a to-do list, his little notepad. And the father throughout the story references the to-do list that they're working from as they do the household projects that the father is being assisted by the son to complete. Now, I couldn't 
fit into this book? Is this already enough pages? I couldn't finish this book. Illustrations of Little Mr. Fix-It writing and showing that he's learning how to write. So one way I was able to do that is in developing a line of stationery for kids mm -hmm. because it's a component of the book and it's directly related to the illustrations of the book. And without it being overly stated in the words of the manuscript, it's an experience that writers can, that readers can absorb as a result of taking from the line of stationery what the main characters do, which is tracking what you have written, using it to jot down your ideas. In the case of a child, finding a safe place to scribble. All of those things, I wouldn't want to say that in the, in the story but I can say it by associating something that's directly extracted from the illustrations to make it work. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to make it such a long book. You can make it other experiences as well. I like that. And I like what you said about experience cause that's important, but also supplementing because now you're creating some uniqueness to your book. You're creating something that someone else might not have. And that makes your book that more intriguing because you get these supplements or what I would call some goodies with it, right? Um, one of the ones that has been interesting to me is the ones that have the pop-up characters and mm -hmm. they're, they're digital characters. And, you know, you, you put your, you use your tablet or your phone. And when you point it at the book, the character pops up. Those are so cool. It's a little freaky. Yeah. It's a little freaky, <laughs> but it, it's so cool. And I was like, that is so cool. And they have like the supplements, like you said, where you have, um, they send out like a, another uh, story each month or, and then you get to meet these different characters um, where the character pops up and they, they, they tell you about themselves. So it's, it's really cool. I was like, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I thought she would freak out at first, but she kind of did. And she was like, wait, wait a minute. Cause, <laughs> you know, cause she's trying to see, she's like, where are they like, what is like trying to see if they're actually on the table? Cause they're on the screen, but they pop up. So it looks like they're standing there. <laughs> so it's yeah. funny, you know, but it's a little creepy to me. I have this whole thing with small dolls and stuff. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> it's just, it's just creepy. Not a fan of, I'm like, I Don't tell <laughs> Um, I understand something about him. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So, but though that's really cool. And that's a good way to put it. Um, because with, with length, I think what you said, you know, wanting to get the story out and wanting to say, I don't want to take any parts away and then putting it into other pieces. I love it. That, that yeah. to me, that's genius. Like, go ahead, be unique, get these supplements together. And then that's another way for you to have income too. Because it can be sold separately or you could put it with your um, book. So that's that's cool. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really um, cool stuff there. And as we're now we've moved a little bit into the making of the book because we're talking about the the length, right? So as we're talking about making the book, so what what's the what's the um, writer's first step? What's the author's first step in um, getting ready to produce their children's book. First step is writing it and writing from the perspective of what you know is the best piece of advice I can offer to any author. Mm -hmm. Coming up with something that you have no direct relationship 
with no familiarity. It's going to be forced and it may not be as effortless as the experience that I had writing, but it will be challenging. I say mine was effortless because I have a story inspired by two people that I see every day. I have a story that's inspired by our relationships with myself and my grandfather and myself and my stepfather. So these things are top of mind. These things live in my heart. Mm. I'm not trying to explain something that I don't have any direct touch points with. So that's part of why I say it really should be something that you've experienced or you can recount from being close in proximity to whatever the thing is that happened or whatever the subject matter is. So that's the first step. Then get it edited. Work with an editor who can not only look at the grammatical structure of the manuscript, but the developmental aspects of the book, because the developmental stage is where the ideas, in addition to what you've brought as an author, really flourish. Having that creative support to look at it from a different perspective tells you if things that you wrote are as clear as you intended for them to be, Mm. or if there are ways that you can enhance the story by being more descriptive in some parts of it. So having it edited, line editing is when the grammar is what's assessed. Developmental edited is when the story can take on an additional shape to what you've already structured it to be. So that's the first two steps. There's a bunch of administrative things that go into the mix after the illustration is done, but illustration is next. And illustration can take anywhere between two and nine months, depending on the illustrator. Mm. After the illustration is done is when you should get the copyright, not before. Because up to the point where you've written a book, it's your creative genius. You own that. Nobody can take that from you. But things might change before the illustrations are final. And if you've had the copyright done for the manuscript, which is unnecessary, you'll have to get it resubmitted to include the illustrations. Because what will then happen is you have something where somebody takes your original material that has the text as well as the illustrations as their own. And they say, wait, I had this copyrighted, but you only had the manuscript copyrighted. You didn't have the illustrations copyrighted. It's not complete. So you do need to wait. I prefer to wait to get it copyrighted after the illustrations are complete. And then it's time to print. Print the book. There are a variety of different ways you can print the book, but print the book. And during this entire journey of self-publishing, I often tell authors how important it is to take readers along with them for the ride. So none of this should be done in secret. Kamisha, all of this should be done with the eye of someone who is transparent and genuine saying, you know, hey, I'm new at this. I'm doing something differently than I've done in the past. And I really need your support on this. Mm -hmm. Friends, family, supporters are essential because people like to see what's happening with you in order to know what 
your journey has been, you have to tell them. You have to create and share the content that makes it possible for them to see what you're doing, what's happening behind the scenes. So get feedback, share what's happening with the cover, share ups, downs, wins, losses. All of that is relevant to you taking form in this new world that you set foot into as an author. And that's where the marketing really starts. It doesn't start just when the book is available for release and when it's time for the book to go to wherever it's going to be listed and distributed. That happens at the beginning. At least it should. Okay. It so should. I, I have to, I have a couple of follow-up questions, right? Okay. <laughs> As you're talking when you were talking about editing and you were talking about a line editor versus the development developmental mm-hmm. editing. Are those two different editors or the same editor? They can be the same editor. Okay, cool. Because I was like, okay, now we need two editors and we need three editors. How many editors do we need? So it's a possibility that the same person can do the developmenting, developmental <laughs> editing and the line editing. It is possible. And knowing up front what the capabilities of the editor is, is the responsibility of the author. Yeah. It might be necessary to have more than one person that you can refer to for a lot of different reasons. And one of those is because everyone who you go to may not have familiarity Mm -hmm. or even specialization in our genre. So knowing that someone is an editor doesn't qualify them. Knowing that someone will edit a children's book, that's different level of acceptance. So figuring out if they're even the right type of editor is really where you want to begin that evaluation. And then once you know that they will work with children's book authors to edit a manuscript that's written for children, Mm -hmm. then you can find out if they are also able to provide a developmental edit or if you need to work with someone else who can provide that next set of eyes. Ideally, you find it in the same person though and don't have to get it from two different editors. I like that. And I'm glad you brought up the um, the type of editor because we talk about that here a lot. We talk about the specialist, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes we go to people who are, the, who are a generalist or they do something else and we expect to get what we're looking for. And sometimes right. we don't. <laughs> So being able to go to that specialist. So you're looking for a children's book editor if you're doing a children's book. So that makes plenty of sense. Um, The other question I want to ask, because you brought up something with the illustrator, and I find Mm -hmm. I get a lot of things illustrated um, because I I like art. So um, most of the things that I do, I um, get illustrated. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about and see if you Um, come into that issue or just know about it for children's books is the same thing about having a work for hire versus collaborating with the artist on the book where they are um, included with the book versus a work for hire where you're paying them for the illustrations. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Well, it's, it's, it depends. Depends on the nature of how, you envision your author journey taking shape, taking form. So if you know you are going to write more than one book, Mm -hmm. you plan on releasing either books in a series or you have multiple books that you would want to create, one of the things that's 
valuable is when there's consistency from one book to the next with the illustrations that you use. Now, little Mr. Fix-It Assist with the to-do list will have the same illustrator in all books in the series because it's one family being chronicled. Mm -hmm. However, if I write about something altogether different, my own personal brand ascribes to this similarity. And so I would also want the same illustrator to use her techniques and use her approach to creating in a portrait-like artistic format because mm -hmm. that's what I like. Mm -hmm. You might decide, you know what, I like a cartoon approach mm -hmm. to books. And if that works for one type of book that you want to create, it might not work for you in the next book that you create if it's not a series. So mm -hmm. if you want to experiment a little bit, then getting with someone who is a freelance, you refer to it as work for hire, but I'm only going to refer to them as freelance because everybody who is an illustrator who's looking for commissions is work for hire. They'll have a contract that they will adhere to and the deliverables will be outlined, what the conditions are under which they are paid and meet different milestones should be established up front. That exists whether it's a person who's a freelance work for hire or someone who is in business as an LLC, who is the person responsible for a team of illustrators. Mm -hmm. It'll still be the same parameters that you would use when you have the conversation about what you want to see done. Now, another part of your question regarding the illustrator, building a relationship. That is one of the most important parts for me of any business relationship. And so the nurturing and the understanding that it takes to have an illustrator deliver what you're looking for takes time to, to build. And if you spend, what did I say, anywhere between two and nine months with somebody who gets you, who understands your vision, they understand how to translate what it is you're looking for, that is a benefit <laughs> I don't see easily letting go of. And because my illustrator, it's funny too, she'd never been to my house before. And she hadn't seen photographs other than the ones that I provided for her. Yet there's one page where in the kitchen, I said, something needs a pop of color. I don't know what you should do, Erica, but I need there to be something on the counter that introduces color in a way that just gives it a little bit more life. What can you do? And she was like, okay, I think I know what you need. She illustrated, and I kid you not, on the counter, a KitchenAid stand mixer that is the identical color of my KitchenAid stand mixer. And she never had any reason to know that I... Of all the colors she could pick, she picked that red because she knows me well enough at this stage in our dialogue to know that might be something that will resonate with me. I can't get that from somebody brand new who mm -hmm. I find on Fiverr, who I don't get to have phone conversations with. I just wouldn't replace that for any amount of money. I wouldn't. <laughs> and I like that. And I think that's cool that 
you were able to build a relationship with the illustrator. And especially since you had the series and you've worked on um, multiple books together, right? Because you have um, the series and she did each one. So I think, I think that is a, uh, is important. And have you, have any of your clients experience collaborating with the illustrator versus um, work for hire? Some have, it's kind of 50, 50. So one thing that you're going to get usually, and I'm not going to say anything negative about someone who's a freelancer that you find off of a random platform, whether it's Fiverr or freelance.com, or if you find somebody on Instagram and they're just like, Hey, I need to use this illustration talent you hiring. They still will give you quality work. Mm -hmm. What I think is really important is understanding what else their capabilities are, like what else they're working on. How can they help you elevate the mission and the the marketing that you plan to put in motion? Mm. And if you have a good handle on how you can collaboratively explain to not just people who are going to read your book because you wrote it, but people who are a part of the illustrator's support network, Mm-hmm. why they should also take note, then it's helpful. For instance, how my illustrator and I did it, she promoted during my Kickstarter. So I, I launched Little Mr. Fix It Assist with a to-do list in a Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. And because I featured her in a variety of ways, of course, her work, but also in introducing her to my audience, she did some things in kind. On her end, she was communicating with people who are in her friends and family community. I'm working on a new project with this author. This author is X, Y, and Z. I'm really enthusiastic about working her because X, Y, and Z. And that gave the book that we are both passionate about a ton more visibility. Mm -hmm. As part of, I believe, what helped to fund the campaign. Another thing on a collaborative level, I mentioned the line of stationery. She was partially responsible for that conceptually, partially because that's what she put on the cover and that invoking of an idea sparked for me, the concept of a line of stationery. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, the flashcards that exists, the worksheets that are also in complement of the book, Mm -hmm. the learning resources that exist that are directly related to the illustrations that she created were all extracted from her. So the collaborative potential is whatever you and the illustrator can find common ground in. I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't want to continue that if it's working well into the next project. But if it's not, then it makes sense to part, go separate directions and find somebody who can deliver to the level, to the caliber that you anticipate being successful at. But being successful together has been the the one thing that my illustrator and I never saw any difference about, 
for instance, how like when we first, I think like our first or second conversation, she asked me if I would be listing her name on the book. And I was like, why wouldn't I list your name on the book? <laughs> You're a big part of this project. Mm -hmm. And imparting that trust to her is part of what let her know and to have more skin in the game. Mm. Because this isn't just something that she's doing behind the scenes. Her name is going on. This, this is her quality work. This is her heart and soul as well as mine. So knowing that you're in it with someone builds the ownership. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's any good reason why I wouldn't put her on it when she made this statement, mainly also because of where I come from. Generally, you give credit where credit is due. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it's just a Midwest thing. <laughs> I think it's a, a golden rule thing where you put that in the mix because that's how you would expect to be treated. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that that's really good because I know that sometimes when you do see the books and you have an illustrator that may have just did the, the photo for you and you paid for it and then you've gone about your way and then you have some of the books that do have the illustrator included because it was more of a collaboration um and as we're talking about collaboration you know collaboration is a part of marketing so right let let's let's go there for a second marketing your book basics Ooh, now you are really speaking my language so i should make a distinction I do not publish other people's books. <laughs> the way I'm involved with children's book authors is to help them market existing books mm -hmm. that they have already released or help them bring to market books that they are already in the process of self-publishing. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I have really good relationships with publishers who provide those services. And I'm happy to refer anybody who does not want to do the project-oriented self-publishing process. But for people who are at that stage where they're like, yeah, this is just not working for me. I've tried everything I need to try. I've done everything I've been told to do, and I'm still not getting any sales. I'm still not getting any response those are typically the people who I work with because that indicates that something is broken or something is not working to its optimal. And there are some things that can be done to make it so that it works better and in their favor. At a basic level, understanding who your ideal reader is, is the first most important thing. Okay. First most important thing. Having that explanation behind who your book is for is a challenge because most children's book authors get into this and think that the book is for every kid because you wrote it mm. and it's a part of the children's book genre but just as detailed as i shared within the genre there are lots of different components different categories our reader communities are that varied mm -hmm. so being able to speak directly to the needs and understand wherein lies the opportunities to connect and relate to your ideal reader is the first most important thing. So that's 
basic level blocking and tackling. Know who you wrote the book for and how you can relate to them. Okay. Next level is understanding that if you want to be perceived as a professional, you have to put that into the work that you do. Okay. Therein lies what does your book look like? What cohesion exists between your messaging and your visual strategy? When people go to find you, do they question who you are or do they believe who you are because it's consistent with what they've seen on your social media, whatever they find on your website? Is it possible for people to feel better about supporting you because you've shared with them what's your purpose and what's your mission? And even if they're not going to buy your book, can they support you and say because they buy into what it is that you're trying to put into the world? Mm. So the aspect of branding, a lot of people believe is just image oriented, but it's also around intention and the purpose too. Mm. So being able to express that in your content and a lot of the different things that people are going to encounter when they find you requires some extra work. And when people think about marketing, they don't often think about this one, but it's also about where are you distributing your books? Where are you pricing? Is your book priced with other books? that are similar in size and in type, whether it's paperback or hardcover. Here we're talking about the pricing aspect of marketing. The place that people often look for your book, is it something that you feel is representative of where you should be selling your book? Mm. For instance, you gotta make this distinction early. <clears throat> Do you wanna make money? as a children's book author, or does it feel more like a hobby is a question that every author has to ask themselves at some point. And if the answer is that this is an endeavor that should be driven by profit, you got to ask yourself, how much am I going to make on every book? And what ways can I maximize that? Mm -hmm. So the marketing element of this that is pricing says, how can I get my costs where they need to be in order for me to be profitable? Because you can write a really awesome children's book and you can talk about it all day long but if at the end of the day you're not making no money off that book how long would it seem to be reasonable to keep pouring more into it with effort if you're not seeing the outcome that justifies your effort and in some cases price is not the only thing that justifies and profitability is not the only thing that justifies it but you got to eat, you got to put gas in your car, you got to pay bills. You have clothes to buy for little people. Other expenses that exist have to be met in some way. And so those are probably my top three. Hmm. Those are my top three basic blocking and tackling stuff. You get a little bit more advanced when we start talking about marketing planning and who you're going to collaborate with and in what variety of ways will you look for profitability from this ecosystem that you can create that's more advanced level thinking but at a basic level let's write children's books that 
we know we can feel good about because it's the work and the output that we can be proud of. It's a book that we can confidently talk about and put into the hands of families, educators, whomever else will buy the book because it's something that helps to further social, emotional learning, experiential enrichment, and make sure we're going to get paid. That's important too. <laughs> That's important. And it's very important. Okay. So you just told them about, you know, where to start. And that was good. That was, that was really um, good places to start. So um, a little bit, just a tiny bit more advanced. Can you let them know three creative ways they can market their book? Three. Oh, yeah. One creative way to market your book. And I'm going to give this to the mamas who don't want to leave the house. Because <laughs> I'm one of those. I'm one of those right now at this season in my children's book business events are not something that I'm enthusiastic about. So I'm not teaching about that. I'm not coaching extensively about that. And I'm not scheduling any. But one way to get people excited about your book is to read it aloud. Okay. In front of an audience of people virtually, who would be interested in listening? That audience can be parents with their children. That audience can be book club goers, attendees. That audience can be educators. But that's one way that usually doesn't cost an author any money to corral your presence with the story and show up for an audience who's intrigued by the work that you've created. So that's one way, virtual readings. Another way is to work with someone who is, who has a larger audience than you do. As an author, let's say you have 500 Instagram followers. Not saying anything about that being a good number or a bad number, but 500 relative to somebody who has an audience of 10,000 people. Getting in some way a platform to discuss your book mm -hmm. or to share elements that are important to readers understanding your story is a great way to market your book because you will do so to a much larger audience without having to have direct ownership of that audience. That's where influencer collaborations come in. And by influencer, I don't mean it has to be someone who is super famous. It simply has to be someone who shares in common the ideal reader that you had in mind for your book with the people who exist in their audience. So with Little Mr. Fix-It Assist with the to-do list, I was interviewed for a podcast that is listened to by fathers. Well, it happens to be a book about fathers and sons spending time together. That is the ideal 
right place for me to talk extensively about a book because that's an audience of people who want to understand more about why did you write the book? How does this book relate to my experience as a father? How does this experience help my son? How does this experience help a son who has who doesn't have a father in the house? Like that conversation is a very different conversation from the one that you and I are having today. Mm-hmm. But that's an audience of people who's interested primarily in stories about fathers and sons. So that's the type of alignment. I mean, another good way to market your book. I'm going to keep it digital. I'm going to keep it digital. Another good way is using short form video short form video. There's so many platforms now that make available short form video. And whether it's TikTok or Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts or Story Pins, whatever it is, if you use Pinterest, mm-hmm. being able to highlight some parts of what exists in the story for readers is a great way to drive interest. And it's done creatively. It's done also with the mode of communication that is most popular right now, video. And it's done in a way that can lead traffic back to you, the author, whether it's to your website or to a landing page that will give readers something in addition of value so that you can begin to build your email list. Because ultimately, it's not just about showing up on social media. It's about collaborating and connecting with people who you can build that relationship with. And if we're only relying on social media to make that happen, every time there's a change in the trends or every time there's a glitch in the system, we're going to feel it and it might not feel good. But if we can get the people who are in those spaces closer to us and given permission to do so to communicate through email, is a great way to drive your promotional aspect, which is a bonus number four, using your email list. That's another awesome way (laughs) to market your book because you don't have to pay your email list to promote it. Okay, so you guys got three and a bonus. (laughs) Three and a bonus. Creative ways to market your book. So um, right now is at a time where we usually do a tool and a tip. So what happens is I give a tool for um, the moms and then I swing it over to you to give them a tip, which um, that's kind of like your final words, but a tip they can go that you absolutely know that they need to walk away with today um, as it pertains to writing, creating and publishing a um, children's book. So I want to go ahead and start with the tool. It's going to give you a few seconds to get your tip together. (laughs) All right. All right, ladies, so today's tool, because we're talking about children's books, and it's something that I like, and it's very simple and easy, and it's called Kiwi Crates. So Kiwi Crates are a steam box that you can have delivered monthly, bi-monthly um, to your children, and it's of all ages, birth to adults, really, but you can have it sent out every month. And inside that box, there is a STEM project or a STEAM project adding art in there, depending on what age your child is. And they get the project. But guess what? 
It can be an accompany by books as well that go along with whatever the story is of that project. And I get it for my children who are um, now turning two and four, and they've been getting them since they were smaller. And again, it's called Kiwi Crates, and I will put it down in the description so that you can go down there and click on it and check it out. And it's very inexpensive for the month. And like I said, you don't even have to get it every month. You can get it every other month because sometimes you don't get to all the projects in a little box. And for the smaller kids, they have different learning um, learning items in the box. So again, Kiwi Crates, check it out in the description. Now we're going to swing it over to Michaela to get your tip of the day. Tip of the day. I love what you shared about Kiwi Crates because it really gives more accountability and more responsibility to parents to make learning fun at home. And since I'm a homeschool mom and that is entirely up my same street, the tip that I'm going to share is to make reading fun by documenting and by tracking how your little one is progressing. So when we talk about something like Kiwi Crates and you've got books that they're reading and you've got activities that they're completing, if you can track those for your little ones to help them see how many they've completed over a period of time and maybe even offer them a reward for completing the reading of different books along with these activities, that's a great way to build a love for reading in your child. If you're looking for ways to make that easier, I have planners and trackers that parents can get a hold of so that you can figure out how many books your child is reading over a given period of time, monitor their improvement, give them also reading comprehension exercises to see how they are navigating the material, and ultimately find fun ways to reward them to keep that momentum going. So that's my tip for the day. Kamisha, back to you. Right. All right. So that was a great tip and something that I thought of doing, but not actually gotten around. to. <laughs> so thank you for the reminder. And so the, the last thing that we're coming to today is for you to tell everybody how they can find you out here in these internet streets. How can we find you? <laughs> and these internet streets, there are a couple different ways to find me, but the best place to find me is at littlemrfixit.com. Littlemrfixit.com is where you can find the book, Little Mr. Fixit Assists with the To-Do List. And if you are a children's book author looking for ways to increase your strategy and approach to marketing to be more profitable, you can find me through there to find out more about the Children's Book Marketing Company, which is the company that I use for coaching and to make it easy for children's book authors. I also have a podcast, the Children's Book Marketing Podcast, which streams on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Podcasts. All right. So you can find her at littlemrfixit.com. And on her podcast, and if you want to get more information, she gave a plethora of information here, but if you want to get your hands on 
more information and strategy and you have this book sitting around and you're like, oh my God, I'm tired of trying to figure things out on my own, make sure you go to the website so that you can get the information directly from her. So she has opened the door. She said, come to my website (laughs) and find out how to work with me directly. So again, thank you, Michaela, for coming on. Um, This was, this was a great time, great conversation. And now the mom entrepreneurs out there have some good starting information on how, which way to go with their children's books. So thank you so much. Yes. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kamisha. Thank you. And ladies, so you've been here. We talked a little bit of the journey in life. We talked a lot about business because that's where we're at. At this stage, we're talking a lot about business. And the specific business today was distributing, marketing, and creating your actual children's books. So I'll see you next time inside of the mommyhood. Come back and see me. This episode is sponsored by Thrive After Nine, a community and support system for moms who are coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs supporting each other in a positive, safe, judgment-free zone of other like-minded women getting things done to thrive in your home and business. To find out more, go to www.thriveafternine.com.